I'm Rick Ralph, and thanks for listening to my podcast series, Talking Garbology, Waste and Recycling Unwrapped. In my episodes, I'll be talking with the industry leaders, the innovators, and the companies that operate both within and across the waste management, recycling, and secondary resource recovery industry. We'll unwrap for you the facts and the stories of how the industry operates, what it's doing in managing waste, how it recovers and reprocesses secondary materials, and generally explore all things waste and recycling related. Wherever you may be listening across the world, I trust you find these conversations interesting and informative. Thanks for listening and please enjoy this podcast. A recent report that came across my desk uh, published in November of 2020 uh, was caught my attention. It's been published by the National Waste and Recycling Industry Council, uh, the peak industry body uh, for the industry. And uh, it's quantified the GDP contribution of the industry to the Australian economy. But it's also pulled out some really interesting statistics as far as infrastructure, jobs growth, and uh, in a general broad snap, when we had such a harsh uh, shutdown of the the Australian economy during 2020, this presents quite a positive uh, view that the contribution the waste and recycling industry is giving. My podcast uh, episode today is with the CEO of the National Waste and Recycling Industry Council, Rose Reed, um, who's going to actually fill in a few of the gaps for me and we'll just talk about this uh, groundbreaking uh, report, which has quantified now, finally, the economic contribution of the industry. Rose, welcome. And before we start, perhaps a bit of background on yourself and the council for our listeners, please. Ah, happy new year, Rick. And thank um, thank you for including me in your podcast series. But before we kick off, I just would like to acknowledge uh, the Gundungara people who are the traditional custodians of the land that I sit on. I'm not too sure who, whose land you sit on up there, Rick, but anyway, um, it's really important to pay respects um, to our elders past and present um, and our respect to the other Indigenous people who may be listening in to the podcast. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, so just uh, a little bit about um, the, the National Waste and Recycling Industry Council a fairly new industry association created back in 2017 to create a voice for the business community within the waste and recycling sector. Um, they play a significant role in providing services, recovering resources, um, and keep protecting our environment. Um, the, the National Council is also very much focused about bringing a national voice uh, to waste and recycling. Um, many of our, our major national members operate in nearly every state and territory and collectively they service the majority of local councils, uh, businesses um, and construction demolition uh, sites around Australia. Um, A little bit of background about me. Um, I've been with Enric since uh, 2018, taking over the reins from Max Bedding. Uh, Prior to that, I've had a lot of involvement in uh, product stewardship for electronic waste, mobile phones, um, and even uh, prior to that was working with Clean Up Australia, uh, which is a great initiative to keep engaged the community in being proactive and keeping our environment clean. Excellent, excellent. So you certainly got some background and uh, can speak with a certain degree of uh, knowledge about this. I guess before we get into actually looking at the report, the importance of council commissioning such a document, um, uh, what results surprised you? What sort of popped out? What sort of captures your attention there that you didn't see coming before? 
Um, I think, you know, what we've done here is pull together all of the, the existing economic data um, and, and pulling in the most recent National Waste Report data and the National Waste Accounts um, and combined it with all the various economic studies that have been done over the past five to ten years. What was really interesting was the growth of the industry over the last four to five years, both in terms of employment um, where it, growth of employment in the waste and recycling sector actually was around 16%, outstripping um, the average of 4%. So we really are a, a, a an industry, a sector that's growing and providing jobs for Australians. Um, but also importantly um, was looking at the growth of, of our contribution to GDP, um, looking at uh, our growth was mm, probably double or treble to, to that of any other utilities in Australia. So we are a significant industry. Um, sometimes we get a little bit forgotten and that we're just simply picking up mm. bins down for house, households. But in fact, we're a significant resource sector um, that's contributing to the Australian economy, both um, socially and employing people, environmentally and keeping uh, hazardous materials out of the environment um, and economically generating and adding value to the Australian economy. Would that growth, do you think, be um, a signal or part, of, I, I suppose, aligned to the economic uh, growth of the Australian economy, the fact that we had a quite a, a robust building pre-COVID and other stuff like that? The economy was going along very, very nicely. So was, is there a correlation between the economic growth and the actual sure. um, waste, waste rising? Yeah, sure. Um, as as the economy grows, um, unfortunately, um Waste does waste generation grows, but that's actually an opportunity in the sense that there's those instead of them being waste, um, we've got more resources mm. to recover and add value to and keep in the economy. And I think that's a big thing, an important shift in the sector is the the amount of resources and effort and time put in by our sector in recovering materials, uh, recovering waste or converting waste into a resource, either as materials or energy, um, and keeping it in the economy rather than um, leaving it into, you know, ending it up in landfill where it's um, laying idle, I perhaps is a good way to describe it. And I guess that's why in the title you've you've reported it as uh, waste to value. That brings that economic or that that economic value of those material streams into it, Rose. Well, yes, it does. And and as I say, it's it's more it's economic value. Um, Realising you know that plastics, paper, organics, you know masonry materials have have a second, third, fourth, and fifth life, and keeping them circulating. But also environmentally, you know, reducing carbon emissions. There are, the waste sector has some a significant role and it would be a leader um, across the industries in reducing emissions. Um, the carbon emission capture from landfill gas is significant, um, even even though while we perhaps only contribute to three percent of Australia's carbon emissions, we've reduced our emissions quite significantly due to energy and gas capture off the landfills. Um, but then also socially, in, in many ways, we employ um, lots of people across Australia um, and, you know, give meaningful work to many people. One of the uh, uh, items that caught my attention in the data, um, you reported uh, three mainstreams, municipal solid waste, commercial industrial and construction demolition, equally sitting around that 12 to 13 million tonnes, which is it's generally reported in those sort of orders. But what I was quite interested to see was that uh, you've singled out the utility sector at nearly uh, generating nearly 11 million. That's that's a significant... I haven't seen that generally reported as such. 
Um, does that surprise or why so? No, no, it doesn't surprise. It's, it is reported in the National Waste Report, mm. but it's, it's, it's considered as non-core waste. And it, what it is is actually um, ash. Uh, the majority of it is ash from coal-fired power stations. Um, and that material, um, and the reason it's generally not reported is because it generally stays either, it either stays on site with, um, in ash dams um, or is treated and reused um, to, to make road base. Um, it generally stays within the utility sector. It doesn't really engage, get exposed to the rest of the waste and recycling sector. don't have much involvement. And those, and those materials are used, though, quite often in um, recovery, like road bases and things like that, aren't they? And, and the cement industry? Yeah, not? coal, crusher dust. Um, there's certain elements of the ash that can be reused. There's other parts that are, mm. are less... Um, because of the nature of the material, it is not necessary. They're not inert enough, perhaps, to use in, in some yeah. of those applications. Um, but there is growing interest to recover and, and further process and reuse all of that ash, which would, you know, it's a significant resource that can replace uh, virgin materials. It's an important it's, potential. Yeah, significant opportunity, I would have thought, really, at that sort of volume. Would, yes. the, the economies of scale would be there. Definitely. Significantly Definitely. there. The... Um, the industry has long argued, and we've heard about it being classified in the essential services sector. Um, what I thought was quite interesting is you've now quantified that um, data to substantiate that position. Your thoughts on that, Rose? Well, I, I suppose um, it's interesting that the industry is re recognised as an essential service in some states, uh, New South Wales uh, and South Australia particularly, specifically, list um, waste or garbage services as an essential service. Actually, I think that's quite interesting. They use New South Wales uses the language garbage service, and I suppose that is really where the essential service is, is that the uh, count, local councils who are required to provide a waste service to households um, have essentially outsourced uh, the provision of that service to the private sector. Um, so that is really the core element. It's in um, where we are in essential service and the, the number of trucks, the number of material recycling facilities, the whole uh, network to collect, sort, process, refine, um, it has been outsourced. There are some councils that still operate um, some facilities, but generally the, the majority of it is now run by the private sector on behalf of the community. Somewhere around uh, 5,000 businesses um, you've reported um, and uh, significant numbers of employees within that. You, you've also um, confirmed that 97% of Australian households now have curbside waste uh, collection services. That's a remarkable number, isn't it, considering the de demographics of the Australian uh, uh, country. It is, considering, you know, I mean, we do have a large urban population, which obviously makes... Uh, the provision of uh, services by the private sector um, practical, um, but to be involved in a lot of the regional work as well um, is great to see. And as you say, 5,000 businesses employing more than 36,500 people directly and probably another 70,000 mm. plus um, people are employed indirectly. So, you know, we're looking at over 100,000 people um, either employed directly or indirectly in the sector um, providing important services uh, to households, to businesses in the construction demolition sector. And I think what's very, very important, or you've, you've, you've actually pulled out of those sort of numbers, you know, you're servicing the best part of the 114 industries. The industry services nearly uh, in excess of 95%, and that is, like, strategically 
very, very significant. I wouldn't know too many industry sectors that have that sort of footprint across every other industry. Really. No, no. And, and, I mean, that's the nature of waste. And, and in part, we're simply, and, and this is where you come back to being an essential service, uh, no different to water and, and power in some respects. Um, you know, we do, everyone does expect their rubbish to be picked up yeah. um, and ha- handled appropriately and responsibly, um, similar to being able to access fresh water, clean water and have access to power. So in part, we're in essential service. And interestingly, Victoria is um, in the process of uh, recent reforms establishing a waste authority. And as part of that process, we'll look to classify um, the sector as a, an essential service. And, and that has some implications in terms of how contracts and services are provided. And so that can be a plus and a negative for the sector. Um, but I think there's um, the focus uh, of where Victoria is going will will highlight on where there needs to be consistency, transparency, equity uh, and safety and reliability. And I suppose the final part of being an essential service is the affordability of it as well. Yeah, yeah. The, um, there's a lot of uh, commentary around in any media you pick up today about recycling, recovery, um, diversion. Um, the report finds uh, the industry recovered you know, plus minus 40-odd million tonnes of materials, um, and that's across the multitude of layers of different streams. Um, in terms of international performance, how do you think we measure up um, in, in the macro as opposed, rather than looking at specific states at this point, how do you think that measures up in, on our generation terms? I think Australia uh, performs very well. Um, you know, we are, we, we, that figure, 40 million, is, is actually material recovered locally here in Australia. Um, you know, there has been a lot of discussion about material, you know, our exports and, and so on. Just to put that in perspective, you know, we're looking at 40 mm. million tonnes locally recovered as opposed to 4 million. So 10% of that is, in addition to that, is being exported Sorry. for recovery. Yeah. No, no, it's just I think yes. I think it's important for people to understand that there is a lot of recycling and resource recovery that's happening here in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there had been so much focus on the China sword and the implications that had for um, certain uh, waste streams. Um, but there was there's a whole lot of material. So, you know, our masonry recovery, you know, C&D, 81%, uh, organic, 61%, glass, 58%, metals locally, 53%. We do export a lot and recover a lot of metals offshore as well. Yes. Um, paper and cardboard. You know, our weakest areas um, are plastics and textiles. That is common across the globe. So we are performing well. Um, but, you know, our plastics probably really is our weakest point at the moment. And probably the most complex too, because we're not talking a single stream, whereas with C and D we're talking bricks and dirt and soil, whereas plastics we're talking multitudes of polymers and multitudes of uh, mixtures of that rose. Yes, the science gets a lot more complicated. <laughs> the materials get a lot more complicated, and the and the, and the processing behind it. And you know, I think that's a, a significant uh, shift for the sector. Um, is is moving from you know a, a logistics industry and a, a sorting industry to a processing and refining um, industry as well. So there's a whole lot of new skills and equipment and assets that need to be built and and are in process, which is exciting. You know, it's and it's, it's an exciting time for the sector. And I think the federal government is, is in uh, certainly investing significant money in CRCs, which are actually related to plastics and finding new markets for that. So whilst we may be dragging the chain a bit on that, there's certainly significant dollars going to the R&D of the market development. Yeah, there is a huge amount of resources now being pumped in to the plastic sector. 
um, and the plastic sector, the plastic converters, refiners are also starting to step up as well, um, looking to replace virgin with recovered plastics, looking at some of the science in terms of chemical processing, um, and also importantly, our companies and members of Enric are, you know, building bricks and mortar to process uh, PET, HDPE, all the, and to be able to create refined pellets to go into local manufacture or even to export that as a higher level commodity, a higher valued commodity. On that, uh, on that comment, the new export bans, uh, I mean, certainly that, that investment has been triggered by these bans. Um, what, what do you think will happen to that 4 million tonnes? I mean, have we got localised markets for it uh, do you, at this point in time? Now, bear in mind it's going to take us a number of years to transition away. It's not, these bans don't happen overnight. Some of them have started and some of them will be a few years away. But how do you think the opportunity there will be with that? I mean, and the uptake on that 4 million tonnes or thereabouts, do you think? It will be interesting. I think the there from a glass perspective, uh, you know, we've got processing capacity, we've got potential markets in terms of bottles back to bottles and, we, you know, with CDS we've got better quality materials So, um, and getting and then the, fi- the glass fines um, going back into roads, we're getting specifications. So I think glass is progressing quite well. So or not that we exported much glass anyway, um, but that ban, <laughs> but that ban uh, like I think it's like 60,000 tonnes, so quite small. Um, but that bans came in from the 1st of July um, this year. Um, really what is the key challenge will be the plastics with mixed plastics coming on from the 1st of July and single baled polymers coming in from the 1st of July next year. So we really need to crack on with getting facilities built. We've got a couple of our members, CleanAway and Veolia, in partnerships with um, uh, packaging and, and beverage suppliers to start putting in PET uh, refining plants and to also look at sorting and processing plants for other plastics such as HDPE, um, LDPE and and polypropylene and some of the others, um, which is great. And and in part, you know, the Recycling Modernisation Fund, um, the Commonwealth money being matched by state and, you know, matched again by industry um, is creating the momentum. The thing with the plastics, though, will be the markets and who's going to buy them and, how much of it is local, what's the local market um, and how much that's going to grow, you know. And so there's a lot of um, are we putting enough pressure on those manufacturing plastic products, um, those manufacturing, you know, building things, are we putting enough pressure on them to use to replace uh, virgin plastic with recycled plastic in their construction and manufacturing activities? That's the real challenge. The dynamics are certainly going to change over the next few years and I think it's really just going to be watch this space with some of the streams as we get further into it. I think we'll, lessons learned. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the supply and demand um, flows work. Um, it'll be classic economics 101 on supply and demand and price. <laughs> I remember my fifth form economics teacher drilling that into me. Somehow I don't know if I quite understood it all. But anyway. It'll be interesting to see who walks the talk rather than talks the talk. Yeah, and I think you know, the other key part of this, um, you know, the governments are all on board, which is great. They recognise plastics as a big challenge. Um, the the manufacturers and producers, you know, there's people starting to come out of the woodwork that are keen to reuse these materials. I mean, and there are overseas markets as well if we can produce it to the standard we need to. Mm. Um, so I think that there's a lot of opportunity there. But one of the other things will be getting these these new facilities up and operating um, and getting them approved. And everyone knows that <laughs> developing a project and getting a waste plant up and running 
takes time, you know, anywhere from three to 10 years in some instances. Hopefully these will be, there is an effort by a number of states to fast track those planning um, development proposals. And, and you know, recycling and clean energy are, are recognised as one of the six uh, priorities in the manuf- modernised manufacturing strategy. So, you know, from both at a Commonwealth level and at a state level, um, the desire to get new activity that are going to create jobs and add value to the economy is a real priority as we recover from um, COVID. And I guess with uh, the recovery and you've you've got to have infrastructure. I mean, the 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 amount of infrastructure there and this and that creates the jobs that creates the opportunity. Um, one number that really sort of stood out to me in in all of your infrastructure, etc. You reported you know, the numbers of transfer stations and the actual resource recovery facilities. And it's encouraging to see that, you know, the resource recovery facilities is, is pretty well in line with the numbers of transfer stations in excess of greater than well up towards 900 each. What really staggered me was um, estimated reported 1,200 landfills in Australia, but 75% of that waste going to only 38 sites. That is a huge opportunity, but also a substantial problem um, across Australia, considering we still have about 1,140-odd, 60-odd landfills handling such a small volume of waste. That's a challenge to us, isn't it? It is a really big challenge, and it's something that Enric um, has been, as long as, along with the Australian Landfill Owners Association, is looking to rationalise uh, landfills across Australia. Um, landfills create a legacy, and um, really what we need to see is a lot of those smaller landfills being wound up and having transfer stations put in to ship that material and consolidate it because. Um, Given the, le- the potential legacy from a landfill site, um, you know it's better off to have it all concentrated in in a, in a few sites, um, so that mm. the impacts can be managed a lot more efficiently, and you've got the right technology um, being applied to ensure that there's no leakage of the materials and the, the substances stored within the landfill. So yeah, definitely, and, and also having a national landfill management strategy um, and a standard is something that Enric's been calling on for a long time. It's sort of dropped off the priority at the moment um, with all of this focus on China Sword, but hopefully we'll get back to that and really look to have an ongoing program of winding up those landfill sites and consolidating it. You've identified both an opportunity and a problem. I mean, take a landfill or transfer station away from a community and they people sometimes get a bit cranky. They might have to actually travel, God forbid, more than 50 kilometres. But it, it's, you know, when you've got 1,160-odd servicing, you know, such a small volume of waste, it really has to beg the question, I would have thought, which I, this leads us to the reductions. You touched upon the uh, landfill uh, contribution in, in terms of uh, re- reduction emissions through landfill gas, et cetera. One of our greatest challenges, Rose, um, and I noticed um, in many reports, is community confidence in the sector. Um, certainly, you know, where we're improving our performance in recycling and whatever. I guess, how do we, and you talked about in the report, the opportunity of waste to energy, how, how do we change the community confidence to actually have confidence in what the industry is actually doing so we do get... Um, that new opportunity so we can move away from landfills to to energy recovery, et cetera. Mm. What are your thoughts there? Well, I think, you know, what uh, for any good operator, you, building trust with the community is about spending time with the community um, and, you know, building that uh, social licence to operate. So it's, 
taking time to explain to the community, being quite genuine and understanding and, and not trying to rush, you know, everyone has a project deadline, that sometimes you have to take the community along and be very genuine about it. The other thing also, though, is bringing, um, is doing that in hand-in-hand with government because part of this whole process of social licence is besides being able to explain the technology and to give the community confidence and provide transparency to what's actually happening to the materials, such in a, in a waste-to-energy facility, the other thing also is the government being is the government being hand in hand and giving the community confidence that their regulations are in place um, to ensure that that business will operate to standard and that it will, won't put people at risk and it won't burn recyclable materials and it will operate within the appropriate framework. And this, I suppose, is, you know, our members and uh, are actively engaging with their communities. We have two uh, waste-to-energy plants being built in Western Australia. We've got a number of them on the books in New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland. And those companies are out there uh, spending time with their communities and educating them and uh, and answering their questions and providing them insight as to how the facility operates. Um, but what we do, but we don't have at the moment is governments being very upfront about saying how we're going to ensure that these facilities operate safely. And also governments are really sitting on the fence in terms of waste to energy. They're not saying it is a solution or not a solution. They've basically left it to the industry to showcase it, which I think is um, not the appropriate way to for a government to behave. You know, waste to energy does have a role to play. There are materials that can't be recovered um, and uh, to you know, to to recover the energy and to reuse that energy can have some significant emissions benefits because they're not sitting in landfill creating CO2. Mm. Um, and also you're reducing, you're not creating a legacy that's going 30 years down the track be a, a pollution issue for the community. Um, so I think the energy from waste facilities can be managed and, and, and run in an environmentally sound way um, that only uses, that only recovers energy from those materials that can't be reused elsewhere. There there would be a strong argument to call out the the governments that have got these um, or or policies that actually have, they're advocating and promulgating waste to energy, they're talking about the opportunities, et cetera, but but there's this absolute brick wall in terms of getting anything through, Rose. I think there's a there's a real opportunity there to say, well, if you've got a policy, you better deliver it with some timeframes as opposed having a policy and then putting all these roadblocks and speed bumps in the way of industry getting on with it. Well, and I, and I think uh, what you'll see is, for instance, Western Australia what did have a policy of waste to energy and went ahead and provided the right, um, you know, support and governance and regulation to, to enable those facilities to get up. You know, Victoria has put in a cap, um, which actually gives should give the community confidence in terms of that you know you're not going to build this this myth of feeding a beast. You know you're going to mm. actually um, there is a cap of how much materials can go down this pathway. There is you know a clear process. I think Victoria is being more proactive in its policy. Um, Queensland is a lot clearer in its policy now, and I think. Um, you know, sees that waste to energy does have a valid role to play in in delivering a resource recovery solution to Australia. New South Wales is the one that's still really um, uh, it's, challenged. Well, no, it's interesting <laughs> because they've they've created their regional activation centres and they see these as renewable energy sites um, out in you know parks, Tamworth and Wagga and. Um, and, you know, that there's a lot of benefit for that and, you know, there's opportunity yeah. for our members out there. But also, you know, the key 
it, it adds an extra cost in terms of transporting waste out to those regions. So um, rather than having the the facility closer to the larger populations in you know in western mm. in in the Sydney Greater Sydney region, so that's an interesting um, one, and it will be interesting to see how that pans out over the next uh, six to twelve months with the twenty year waste strategy. Um, we're looking forward to seeing that coming out soon, and you know um, they're they're one of the sta- you know the state with the highest waste levy, um, so which generates the greatest opportunity in many terms. Sorry, what was that? The greatest opportunity in real well, terms. Well, yes, exactly. I mean, they create generate seven hundred and fifty million um, dollars in landfill levy landfill levies uh, or waste levies. Um, mm. So you know, it's it's a big um, figure. The economic value of the industry, um, you touched upon that at the beginning and that it's contributing about $4.8 billion directly to the economy on an annual basis. That's a real number. Um, but I think what was really interesting is um, it's been growing at quite a substantive figure, certainly over the last uh, decade. Um, your thoughts on that? Um, oh, well, I, my thoughts on that... Um, it's going to hopefully will continue to grow. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think I think what you know there ever the optimist. Well, well no, I think um, there is you know there is more value to be done, and you know resource recovery, whether it's um, recovering the energy or recovering the materials, will employ more people. So mm-hmm. moving towards the circular economy is a top priority for our members, um, and keeping those materials in the economy makes sense for our members, but also makes sense for the overall economy. So I think there's a real opportunity uh, there and looking forward to, you know, you know that material that we've been exporting, um, 4 million tonnes, um, was generating a certain amount of value. But I suspect by keeping it on shore, further processing it, you know, we're going to see the value of those commodities per tonne go up um, double or treble in value. So while it's going to cost us a bit more here, um, we, you know, we should be bringing more revenue back into the country through the export or, or, or also using that here in, in, in Australian manufacture. I mean, and that's the and other that big opportunity you. too is, you know, new manufacturing businesses that um, replace virgin with um, recovered materials. And I think uh, what is significant is, and that just reinforces that jobs growth, you know, you had that 13% increase over five years. Um, that The numbers that the actual industry is actually employing are, are really going up quite significantly, aren't they? They are, indeed, yes. And that then feeds the local economy, which feeds the local families because the whole business, it's that circular cycle, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, it's a knock-on effect. You know, if we look at directly 36,000-odd people, indirect 70 5,000 people, you know, so we have, mm. you know, a twofold increase. Uh, is that right? <laughs> um, well, it's 200% more people employed. 200%, yeah, yeah exactly um, right. Of what we employ directly. So the knock on effects is substantial. And, you know, it, you, while we're not, you know, a massive, you know, sector in when you compare us to, when you compare to what else other industries we have in Australia you know, agriculture or mining, um, we we are a significant contributor and we do employ a significant number of people. I mean, what I'm looking forward to seeing is um, the number of women in, in, the, in the workforce growing. I mean, it did improve over the last uh, five years. Um, I think about 25% of our sector has females employed, but um, hopefully that will continue to grow right across the sector um, as well. Absolutely. The opportunities for the council uh, um, uh, in 2021, Rose, um, 
how do you see leveraging this report um, and, and how we can utilise, how the council can utilise that to, to get greater outcomes? Um, well, I think it's, it, it, it is continuing to be recognised um, by governments as a national uh, industry that contributes significantly to the economy, that uh, provides real environmental opportunities. And, and given the challenges of climate change um, that are facing us um, and the need to employ more people, you know, we're, we're, we're a good industry, a solid industry in that regard. Mm. Um, the other important thing is, is that we, we're a resilient industry. And I think that's a really important uh, message is the way we operate, we're adaptable, um, we can provide real value to, to the economy. And, and therefore, hopefully, we will see um, appropriate regulations and policies that continue to support the growth of the sector. I think uh, for our listeners anyway, we've given it certainly a bit of a snapshot and, and now pulling this report has managed to pull a number of reports together to make some sense of it all together. Um, in closing, would you like to make anything else that we, we, we need would like to cover with us uh, before we uh, sign off, my friend? Um Oh, I think one thing probably haven't touched on was um, is the amount, and it's not it's only touched on very lightly in the report is the amount of waste levies that are cre- uh, generated across Australia and the impacts the levies have had on the recovery rates at the, at the state level. Yes, and I mean what we're seeing now is the harmonisation of those levies, so that um, it's you know the key purpose of the levy is to drive resource recovery, and by having levies. Um, you know, in, in at similar amounts, you're you're ensuring that that happens across the country, and you don't have leakage of potential resources ending up in landfill because that's a cheap option. So I think you know that's a really good progress we've seen. Um, what will be good is to see a smarter reinvestment of those funds um, back into the sector, um, whether it's been the remanufacturing or you know encouraging um, the use of recycled materials over virgin materials or else, you know, helping with compliance. You know, one of the other big challenges for us um, as the value of the materials increases is ensuring that we continue to improve the practices of the sector. Um, you know, we talked about building confidence and um, really raising the standards, and that's a key pri- uh, priority for us as well is to continue to push what we want to be able to do is become a supplier of quality materials and give confidence and certainty to those remanufacturers, uh, construction industry who are taking these materials to make uh, new buildings and new roads and new products. Mm. Sure, sure. Rose, thank you for joining me. I, I found it quite fascinating. I, I, I certainly love the title Waste of Value because at least it moves it beyond the traditional bottle and can of the red top bin. So uh, to our listeners, I trust you found that quite interesting. The link to this uh, report will be with this podcast. Have a look at it because it does now quantify Uh, in real terms has pulled a number of reports together to provide you some real information. So, Rose, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Rick. Good to chat. My thanks to John at Audio Advantage in the production of this podcast. And if you enjoyed this conversation, other episodes can be found on my website, thegarbologist.com.au forward slash podcasts.